I heard a Christmas message over the holiday seasons that, uh, uh, that really spoke to me in an unusual way. The, the preacher used Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 as his text, and he pointed out something that I'd never really thought about before. Here's what Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 says. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And what he, what he pointed out was that they rejoiced when they saw the star. Not when they saw Jesus. And I'd never really considered that. Why did seeing the star excite them so much? And I think the answer is obvious. They were lost. And they didn't know what to do. They had stopped in Jerusalem and asked for directions. In fact, the words of the Magi were, Where is the one that has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. I mean, where else would the king of the Jews be born than in the capital city of Jerusalem? But he wasn't there. They couldn't find him. The trail went cold, and they didn't know where to go. So they went to the temple, and they asked the scribes, and the scribes blew the dust off the Bible, (laughs) and they opened it to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and it told them, that God's child would be born in Bethlehem. Great, they now have a location. But still, which way? Then they saw the star, and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They had direction. They were no longer lost. Well, all of that started me thinking about this thing we called lost. We used to use that word a whole lot in church, lost. Those without Christ were lost. But you know, lost can mean a variety of things. For example, lost can mean, I don't know where I am. I'm lost. Those words seldom come out of a man's mouth, all right? But every woman in here knows that a man has been lost before. We just don't admit it. Number two, lost can mean, I don't know where to go. I'm lost. I I feel that way almost every week when I'm writing a message for you. I'm lost. I don't know where to go. Lost can also mean, number three, I am something that has gotten misplaced. I'm lost. Here's what the Spirit of God showed me. Whenever we talk about lost people, we usually think of them in that first category. They are lost. That is, they don't know where they are. And so we need to tell them where they are. And for decades, the church was in the business of telling the world how lost it was. But we don't do a really good job of showing them the way out of their lostness. Hmm? We say to lost people, you're lost and you're dying in your sins. You need to repent. You need to turn your life around. You must give it all up. You need to stop drinking and smoking and cussing and going with girls who do. You need to quit partying all the time. And that's the message we've delivered for years. You're lost. So let me tell you that you're lost. And if you don't quit being lost, you're going to die and go to hell. Can I do a quick time out and tell you, you know what, there is a certain satisfaction that comes upon us righteous people when we tell people their lost condition. 
honestly. Or even better, when we get together in our holy huddles and we talk about people who are lost without ever going to them and talking to them personally. We'll get in our little holy huddle and we'll say, you know, that guy over there's got a real problem. He's running around on his wife and his reputation's in the tank. And somebody else will chime in, yes, bless his heart, we better pray for him. <laughs> now, when I wrote that, I thought it was kind of funny, but you're not laughing. <laughs> huh? There will be a few courageous souls who will actually deal with the person and say, hey, buddy, your lifestyle's killing you, and you need to quit living that way. And you know what? All, all of that is true, okay? And yes, the Bible talks about that kind of being lost. In fact, I'm reminded of uh, Paul in Acts chapter 24. He went before Felix and his wife Drusilla, and he, uh, he, he talked to them and reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And so I, I kind of think he dealt with that just a little bit there. But you know what? If we are not careful today, we're going to stop right there. We're going to tell them they're dirty, rotten sinners bound for eternity in hell, but we're not going to help them get out of their lostness. As I read the Bible, lost can really mean two other things. It can mean not knowing where to go. Someone who has lost their way. And really, as I read the Bible, I think that's how Jesus sees lost people. A second way that the New Testament uses the word lost is to describe something that has been misplaced. In fact, Jesus told a couple of parables to let us know how God sees lost people. He compares us to a woman who has lost a valuable coin and to a shepherd who has lost one of his sheep. Uh, but that parable, both those parables are in Luke chapter 15. Can I read it to you? Good, thank you for letting me read this to you. Luke 15, verse 3. So Jesus spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. I think the message is clear. We are the lost sheep. God created us. But because of sin, we have become lost. We have been misplaced in a world of sin. And God is out searching for us right now. He goes on in verse number 8. Or what woman, having ten silver, silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Church, I'm, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is looking for lost people. He didn't spend a great deal of time telling people they were lost. He focused his energy on helping them find their way out of lostness. In fact, Luke chapter 19 verse 10 tells us Jesus' purpose statement. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came to planet earth. He came to seek out lost people and to save them. You say, well, that's great, but what does it have to do with me? Everything. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. What did that star do? That star led them to Jesus. And guess what? You, you are the star in this story. You are the star. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that. Philippians 2.15, Paul said, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You, the stars, shine as lights in the world. It's interesting, the word for lights there is actually the word that means stars. Isn't that pretty cool? You are to shine as a star. Where? In the world. And the Greek word that is used there for world is not this earth that we're standing on. It really means the entire universe. So what is Paul saying? You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are the stars of the universe. You are to shine as the light in a dark, dark world. Just as the star was over Bethlehem and it helped the wise men find Jesus, our job is to help those who are lost in our world today find their way to God. This was really a theme in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So church, let me tell you, you are the stars. Eh? Woo! Y'all are to celebrate that, huh? That's pretty cool. You're God's stars. And our purpose is to help the lost people in our world today find their way back to God. God created them. They have been lost in their sins. God wants to reestablish a new relationship with them where he becomes their father and they become his children. And we are the light of the world to share the good news of the gospel message. I, I was thinking in light of this New Year's, can y'all believe that we're already, goodness, what, halfway, halfway through January? We're, it, it, it seems like we've been in, in 2017 for a year now. 
It's only been half a month, you know? And, and we all make some kind of New Year's resolutions. I'll, I'll lose weight, I'll eat better, I'll exercise, I'll talk less. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? Let me, let me give you a new idea for a resolution for the rest of this year, 2017. Why don't you make 2017 the year that you resolve that you're going to bring one person to Jesus Christ? I mean, that, that's, that's what you're supposed to do anyway. We're the star. We're the light. And if they're going to hear the message, we're going to tell them. If they're going to be saved, we're going to lead them to Jesus. So, so let's make it official today, okay? And let's make that commitment. Lord, with your help, I am going to lead at least one person to faith in Jesus Christ this year. 2017, I'm going to lead one person to you, at least one person. You're freaking out saying, how am I going to do that, preacher? Well, let me just suggest three quick ways you can do that. Number one, you can be the light. You know why? Because they need a light. Those in the world need a light. Why? Because they're living in darkness. You know, something that, that's kind of mind-boggling to me is, uh, is people living in this self-destructive cycle that just repeats itself over and over and over again. And we think, why can't people break out of a self-destructive cycle? It's like a young man who doesn't stay in school and get out of the poverty that he was born into. I mean, it's what his dad knew and what his granddad knew, and, and, and it's what he's born into. Why, why can't he just stay in school, get an education, get a good job, and break that cycle? Or maybe it's like the young lady who continues to destroy her body through drugs and alcohol abuse. Why don't they just stop the cycle? Well, could it be that they are blinded by the darkness and they don't know what to do? They don't know how to change? They can't find their way out of darkness? Really, the, the reason people don't know where to go is because they can't, they can't see it. They can't see it, but they, they've been living in darkness, and so they're blind to it. They can't see. It, that's not me thinking. That's the Bible speaking, really. I don't have this verse on the screen, but let me just read to you uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul explains it. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen to verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, that is hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are lost don't see it. They don't understand it, he's saying. Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. What Paul is explaining is this, the reason people continue in these destructive cycles and can't break the bondage of sin is because they're living in darkness. The God of this world, who is the devil himself, has blinded their minds. Amen. And so they can't see, they can't 
understand. And the world is feeding them a bunch of junk. The world gives us all sorts of false messages about where we can find purpose and meaning and significance in life. Usually this message appeals to the desires that we have. The Bible calls those desires the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so we desire it. We want to do it. And usually it's just a short-term thing. It's a quick payoff. It feels good, so we want to do it. But most people can't see the long-term damage until it's too late. And they're caught in a bondage of sin. And it's not only destroying their lives right here and right now. It's going to destroy their lives for all of eternity. And what has God called us to do? Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see Jesus Christ. Be the light. This is a dark world we live in. And if people are going to be changed, if they're going to be saved, it's because you've let your light shine. And you are the star that God has called you to be. Number two, not only do they need a light, number two, they need an authentic example. They, the world needs to see the real deal. Not just a made-up Christian. They need to see the real deal. Have you ever been lost and somebody gives you some complicated directions that, that you, you just can't make any sense of him? Like, well, you go 12.2 miles down the road until you see a black cow beside a red mailbox. Then you turn to the left, followed by a right, then an angle to the left. You see a dump truck, and you're almost there. I'm thinking, what? Man, I'm, I'm more lost than before. You know, if we're not careful as a church and as a believer, that's the kind of directions we give to the world. They want to know, how can I get out of the mess that I've made of my life? And we start giving them these directions. You know, more than directions, what they need is an example. It's like the old saying, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Well, you know what? You're hearing one today, all right? So, but I understand what it means. We need to be that example. That means that we have to be a genuine servant to people. We've got to serve people. We've got to love people and care for people and let them know that we care about them. There is nothing quite as magnetic as true servanthood. And really, that's what the world wants to see from the church. That's what they need. We've been talking about reaching souls, and souls are important, but I've never met a soul that was not connected to a person. Yeah? And people need to know that you care, and they want to know that you care before they know what you know. So before you can tell them the truth, you've got to love them and care for them. And when they're convinced that the church really cares about them, they're going to hunger for what we have to offer to give. Now, Kavanaugh does a pretty good job at, at ministering to people, but you know what? I think we can do better. Not only as a church, but individually. We need to look for people who are in need and minister to that need so that we can share with them the good news of the gospel. I've got a picture I want to throw up on the screen to you, and uh, maybe, maybe you'll recognize the, uh, the backside of this girl right here. Anybody know who the, that blonde-headed girl is right there? Huh? 
Anybody know who that is? I'm going to go see her in a, a, a week from now. Uh, Miss Callie's still in the Philippines. Some of y'all may have seen this uh, on Instagram. She posted this picture. Anybody see this picture? If you're okay, a few of you did. Uh, she uh, is in the Philippines outside of Manila right there. And look at that little Filipino girl she's carrying around. She's a precious-looking little girl right there. What you can't really see is her foot. I really wish you could see her foot. It is, it's, it's caked. Her little foot is caked in mud. What was cool is what Callie wrote about that. Today, we went to a place called Smoky Mountain. Disclaimer, I'm not back in the States. <laughs> it is called Smoky Mountain because for the 40 years that it was an active landfill, there was a constant cloud of smoke billowing from the piles of burning trash. Not only is this a massive mountain of garbage, but it is also one of Manila's largest slums. They told us it might be a culture shock. They told us not to stare. And I'll be honest, I did stare. But maybe not at what they were talking about. I was staring at all the little hands I washed before the meal. I was staring at their little feet as they ran around on glass and mud. I was staring into her sweet face as I carried her around. And as I saw those hands and those feet and her face, I saw a whole lot of Jesus. Humbly, my Lord came and died a terrible death so that those little feet might play and that face might smile. He came that we might be able to come wash their hands, feed them, and tell them about him. He came so that this world might not be our home. And that is a truth I'm thankful for. I talked to her right after this event, and she said, Dad, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. Before we feed these kids, we wash their hands. And for some of them, it was the first time their hands had ever been washed. Five, six, seven, eight years old. She said it was, it was sad. It was pathetic. Funny, funny part of it, she said, they kept, they kept touching my arm. I'd wash their hands and they were touching my arm. And, and I couldn't figure out what they were doing. They would touch my arm and another one would touch my arm. And, and finally she asked them, what are you all doing? She, they said, well, what is that? What is that? She said, well, it's hair on my arm. Then she looked, she said, they don't have hair on their arms. <laughs> they were fascinated with the, the hair on her arms. Let me see another picture right there. Look at that little guy. I think that's his house he's standing in front of. Callie wrote this. Thirteen days ago, we were supposed to leave Manila and, relearn, and return to Tacloban City. Thirteen days stuck. Thirteen days without planned ministry. Thirteen days questioning why God has us here. But boy, does he continually remind us that his plan is better. Amen. Meet Adrian. Today he made the best decision of his life and all of heaven is rejoicing because of it. Thank God for shattered plans and for new life. Not only was she able to lead Adrian to the Lord, she was able to lead a couple of other little boys to the Lord. You know, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's why we sent her. <clears throat> they were able to do that. You know why? Because they washed their hands. And they washed their feet. 
and they fed them a meal. They were serving. Genuine servants of God. They were connecting with these kids' hurts. Guys, that's what God has called us to do. To connect with hurting people. People are in pain. They may not look like it, but let me tell you, they're in pain. There is a hurt on every pew in this building. There is a hurt in every house on your street. A man whose wife is cheating on him. A single mom who can't seem to make ends meet. A young man whose father never accepted him. They don't look hurt, but they are hurt. And when we engage in their pain with authentic servanthood, it helps them see Jesus. And it gives them hope. So my challenge is be a genuine servant, but also along with that, you need to live pure. You need to be the real deal. Uh, Go back to that verse in Philippians 2.15. Paul said that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as stars in the universe. I think this world is truly hungry for authentic holiness. This world is really hungry for the real deal. Somebody who doesn't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. And I'm constantly preaching to you. Maybe you think I'm browbeating you. And maybe I am. (laughs) To live a holy life. To be godly. See, godliness is not something we put on on Sunday mornings to come to church. We are to be godly seven days a week, no matter where we are, no matter what the situation is, we are to be a Christian. It's a life that we live. And yes, there is holiness and godliness involved. We are not like the world. And we shouldn't act like the world. So instead of bow. I can't even say that, can I? Brow beating you today. Let me thank you. If you're living the godly life, I applaud you. Thank you. Because that's what the world needs to see. That's what's going to make the difference. I read the testimony of a young man who was saved at a church and then later called to preach. Here's what he said. When I started coming to church, I was so refreshed to see a group of young men who stood for something. They weren't trying to sleep with their girlfriends. They weren't always looking for the next high. They didn't steal from their employers or hate their parents. And that affected me. Well, it should. God has called you to be blameless, harmless, and without fault. In the midst of a crooked and perverse world. Why? So that you can lead people out of darkness into light. The third way we do that is tell them. Not only do they need a light, and not only do they need authentic, genuine Christian example, they need to be told. It's not enough just to live it. We've got to tell it. There's a popular saying often repeated by Christians. It's, it's found new life on Facebook and, and Twitter. Maybe you've even uttered these words. They are commonly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who was a monk. Here's the quote. 
Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Pretty clever. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. And I think all of us in this room can appreciate what what, uh, many are getting at when they say something like that. As a believer, we should live in such a way that our lives point to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. However, there's two problems with this statement. Number one, St. Francis of Assisi never said it. (laughs) Okay, And number two, it's not really foundationally biblical. Now follow me here. A godly life should serve as a witness for the message that we proclaim. But without words, what can our actions point to except ourselves? A godly life cannot communicate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Just living a godly life cannot communicate Jesus' substitutionary death on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. We can't be the good news. But my dear friend, you can herald the good news. You can sing the good news. You can tell the good news. And you can preach the good news to all who will listen. In fact... Verbal communication of the gospel is the only means by which people are brought into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is biblical. The Apostle Paul told the church at Rome that. Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And it's not talking about a guy like me. It's talking about stars like you. How can they believe unless somebody opens their mouth and tells them? So I've kind of got a unique way that I put all this together for myself. It's pretty simplistic, but that's my mind. I call it show and tell. Show and tell. I show them by living the life. But at some point, I open my mouth and I tell them as well. Because that's how the lost will be found.